Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. You know, when you read the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that he was continually putting his disciples in situations that would compel them, force them to trust him. In fact, many of his miracles kind of hinged on, on their faith and sometimes the people in the, the crowds, their faith. That miracle, whatever it might be, included their participation. Jesus knew what kind of time frame that he was working with. He was, he was on this very compressed time frame. He, the guy had about three years to save the world, right? You think about it. And I never really noticed this before, but kind of reading through the Gospels with that mindset that, that Jesus had a job to do. And, and you'll see when you read through the Gospels that time and time again, it was like from, from one miracle to another miracle to another miracle. But look at the miracles closely, and you'll see that they were opportunities for Jesus to grow his disciples' faith. Right? Because of this short time frame, he was continually pushing his disciples into faith-building situations. Mark really underscores this. Read through the Gospel of Mark. The word immediately appears 52, 54 times in the New Testament. 42 of those are in the Gospel of Mark. I mean, seriously, you read through Mark, and immediately Jesus, and immediately Jesus, and immediately Jesus. So it's one of those be quick but don't hurry type things because Jesus knew he was, gonna, he was about to hand the keys off to this, this enterprise called the kingdom of God, and he needed to make sure his guys were ready for the task. But what I find interesting is in each of these instances, you'll find that Jesus had more faith in them. Think about it. He had more faith in them and their abilities than they did in him. For example, there were a couple of occasions where Jesus tells his disciples to get into a boat and row over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he would meet them there. And these men, most of them had grown up around the sea. A few of them were even professional fishermen. I mean, that's what they did for a living. And yet, these experienced fishermen weren't able to row their boats across the sea. And yet, at the very end of his time on earth, he gets, Jesus gets all of his guys together and he tells them this. He says, very truly, or the old English says, verily, verily, I say to you. He says, all these amazing, miraculous things that you've seen me do. He says, look, you guys are going to do these and even more. Can you imagine that? And they're listening to this and they're thinking, what? No, we're not. We couldn't even row, row, row our boat across the Sea of Galilee. And you're telling us that we're, we're, you're giving us the keys to this, this enterprise? But they did. But they did. They did those greater things. And the reason they were able to do those greater things is because of how their faith grew as they learned to trust Jesus while navigating those divinely orchestrated in over their head challenges. But, and this is important, these weren't just lessons for them. They were lessons for all of us today as well. And if you don't already know, you'll soon discover that if you decide to accept Jesus' invitation to follow me, because that, that was his invitation, follow me, he will. Listen to me, he will orchestrate and use the events of your life in a way that almost compels you, forces you to trust him. A great example of this is seen in an event that happened in the Bible that most of us are probably familiar with, a time when a crowd of thousands of people were fed with only a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. 
And really, aside from the resurrection, this is the only one of Jesus' miracles that re that's recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So here's a little bit of the, the backstory here. One day, Jesus was teaching on a hillside, probably just a stone's throw from the Sea of Galilee, because we knew that they had just crossed over to get there. And Matthew tells us that there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So we're talking about a pretty large crowd here. Some historians think it could have been as many as 12 to 15,000 people in this crowd. And they're, they're all scattered around the hillside listening to Jesus teach. And, and as evening approaches, the, the disciples start thinking about what they're going to do for dinner. But it's interesting because, you know, they don't want to sound unspiritual, so they throw the crowd under the bus. They, they, they go to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, why don't you go tell them to go get something to eat? It's getting late, you know? No, they were hungry. They just didn't want to sound unspiritual, right? So, you know, so they go and, and they interrupt Jesus, right? They say, Jesus, it's getting late. You know, these, these people, we, they need to go, you know, there's nothing around here, you know. And obviously, since it was Sunday, you know, Jesus was preaching, so the Lord's chicken wasn't available because Chick-fil-A was closed. So what are they going to do? Jesus, you need to send them somewhere so that they can get something to eat, right? And Jesus, this is interesting, Jesus looks at them, and then he looks at the crowd, and then he looks back at them and, again, and he says, they don't need to leave. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Hold that thought and we'll come back to it. We're in part three of our series titled Faithful, Fueling Your Faith in a World on Empty. And one of the things that we've talked about in this series is how Jesus' agenda for his first century followers and for his 21st century followers as well is that we wouldn't just be simply people who believe things, but we would be people with great unshakable faith. Faith that didn't just believe God, but faith that actually did what Jesus said to do which explains why Jesus' initial invitation and, and why his invitation to you and to me today was not just to believe in me, but to follow me. And, and listen, Jesus never altered that invitation. The church did. The church eventually pulled back from follow me to just believe in me. And even though Jesus did invite people to believe in him, he never intended them to stop there. Believe in me was basically the threshold to follow me. In fact, and most people don't realize this, but Jesus actually invited people to follow him before he invited them to believe in him. Did you know that? Read the Gospels. He invited people to follow him before he invited them to believe in him. And many in the crowd were right there. Some, many did come to believe in him, but many didn't because we know that many fell away, right? But the follow part was the part that, that was the important part because that was the part that would grow their faith. And so Jesus invited his first century followers and he invites you and me today to follow him and live a life that reflects confidence and trust in God, even in the midst of our hurt and pain and questions and confusion. Because this, listen, listen, dear ones, because this is when, when, when our faith intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith begins to grow and grow and grow because God is most honored when our active daily faith, I'm choosing to forgive, I'm choosing to follow up, I'm choosing to step in, I'm choosing to be compassionate, I'm choosing to be generous, I'm choosing to respond like Jesus. And when our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness on the back end, that's when our faith blows up in a good way. That's when our faith grows. But believing without doing is a, it doesn't bring any change, and it leaves you with a weak and fragile faith. So Jesus didn't invite people to simply believe things. He invited people, and he invites us to follow him, and he invites us to ask this question. What would I do 
if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? And I said last week, this would be a good question to ask yourself every morning before you walk out the door. What would I do today if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? So in this series, we're looking at some things that will help grow our faith, the five things that God uses to, to blow up and grow up our faith. Last week, we worked at the, looked at the first one, which was practical teaching, practical teaching. Whenever somebody shares their faith story, usually, not always, but usually, they'll talk about a time that, that someone explained the Bible to them in a way that they actually understood it, that it made sense for the first time. It made sense in a way that they could actually do what it says. They could apply it to their lives. All of a sudden, the Bible wasn't just a history book anymore, but an instruction manual for life. And for the first time, someone told them how they could actually live out their faith in everyday life, told them what to do with what they believed. And and look, the reason that this grows our faith is because, again, when our active faith, not what's just in our head, not just what we believe, but when our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness on the back end, that's when our faith explodes and grows up. So the second thing that grows up and blows up our faith, that's what we're looking at this morning, is personal ministry, personal ministry. When anybody tells their faith story and and things that help them grow their faith, they usually talk about the first time that they stepped out of their comfort zone to do something for God that they really didn't feel prepared for or adequate for. Think about the first time, if you've done this, think about the first time that you stepped out of your comfort zone spiritually you didn't know what to expect, right? You were a little scared. You felt like maybe you were in over your head, but, but you just you responded to that nudge of the Holy Spirit, right? Or maybe you took our next class and responded to that, that internal nudge to, to step out in faith and begin serving in some capacity on one of our dream teams each Sunday morning. And, and yeah, maybe it was a little awkward at first as you stand out there. If you're on the first impressions team, you're standing out there holding the sign. Maybe it felt a little awkward at first. But then people started arriving and smiling. You saw those smiling faces. And then the longer you did it, the, the more comfortable you, you became doing that, right? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you signed up for, for family kids. Maybe you were a brave soul, signed up for family kids. And you walk, as you walked into that preschool classroom for the first time, you prayed under your breath, God, if you ever helped anyone, please, please don't let that four-year-old ask me a question that I can't answer, Lord. Please don't do that, Lord, right? So you, you did the class and you felt, you felt incapable in, in of doing it. You felt like you were in over your head. But you trusted Jesus, right? You trusted Jesus. And when your faith intersected with God's faithfulness at the, on the backside at the end of class, it was like, wasn't there just a sense of, hey, I could do this. This wasn't so bad after all, right? There was that little bit more sense of confidence and assurance in Jesus. Everybody who's followed Jesus for any amount of time has felt that nudge to, to step into step into the game, so to speak, and, and embrace some sort of personal ministry, some, something beyond yourself. And then on the back end, because of who you met, because of what you did, something happened on the inside of you. And the reason it's part of your story isn't because you're so great. No. The reason it's part of your story is because on the other side of that decision, you experienced God's faithfulness. And the thing that punctuates these, these events in our lives is how emotional they can be. Because oftentimes they are very emotional events. And I'm going to share a little bit about how this played out in, in my life here in just a couple of minutes. Thinking about the first time that you remember God using you to make a difference in someone else's life. And how you, you push through those feelings of inadequacy and all of your lame excuses, right? I don't have time. I'm scared. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't know the Bible well enough. You know, what, whatever it is, you pushed through those to say yes to Jesus for the benefit of someone else. Those times, listen, dear ones, 
Those times are the times that help grow your faith. That's when we experience God's faithfulness and our faith gets bigger and bigger. And right about now, some of you are thinking, OMG, did pastor send someone an email about me? Because God's been dealing with you about this. God's been dealing with you about this, right? Right? You've been feeling a nudge to move out of your comfort zone and quit just believing in Jesus and start following him. But here's what you need to know. Your reluctance or your resistance isn't a lack of faith. It's, it's a test of your faith. It's not a lack of faith. It's a test of your faith. God, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't feel adequate. I feel like I'm going to be in over my head. But if this is you, if this is really you, I'm going to do what I can do and trust that you'll do what only you can do. So back to our story, Matthew 14, 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So the disciples approached Jesus, suggested he start kind of wrapping things up so the crowd can go get something to eat. You know, because, you know, again, they were just as hungry as the crowd, but they didn't want to look unspiritual, so they throw the crowd under the bus. They blame them for needing to shut down the meeting. Verse 16, but Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Isn't that interesting? They don't need to go get something to eat. You give them something. Watch this. Jesus invites them to be a part of the solution to the problem. The only problem was, logistically, there was no way they could do that. There was no way they could do what he just asked them to do. So why would Jesus ask them to do this? John tells us why in his account of this story. It was to test them in John 6, 6. It says he did this to test them. In other words, he knew, he knew it was impossible without him. He knew that they didn't have what it took to do what he was asking them to do. That's why it's called a test, right? Just like Jesus will at times ask us to do something that, that seems impossible for us, right? So we'll, so we'll not just believe in him, but so we'll follow him and do what he tells us to do because he's teaching us to trust him, to step into those areas of uncertainty, not knowing, not knowing what the outcome's going to be, but experiencing his faithfulness on the backside as we engage our faith, which is exactly where the disciples found themselves that late afternoon. Jesus seizes upon this moment when the disciples suggested sending the people away to get something to eat. Jesus uses that as a faith-building moment. Jesus tells his disciples, no, you give them something to eat. At which point, someone must have started asking around, hey, anyone, anyone got any food? Anyone got any food? And we know that from John's account because in John's account of this story, he says this, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, this is the place in the sermon where if, if you kind of started nodding off, you know, it is the eight o'clock service. I'm gonna give you some grace there. But if you kind of started nodding off or kind of looking around, counting the number of lights up there, no, I need you, I need you to lock in right now. Tune in right now because this, this is very, very important. I want you to watch closely what Jesus says here. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Jesus says in verse 18, Matthew 14, bring them here. Bring me that lunch box. Jesus says, bring them here to me. Now, in John's account, it says it was a boy. In my version, it was a, a second grade girl named Brecken. Uh, but uh, humor me, okay, for the illustration, all right? So uh, Jesus says, bring it here. Bring it here. See? So they did. They did what they could do. 
Because honestly, yeah, that, that's all they could do. Oh, yeah, I, I, can, I can bring this, this food over here, this lunchbox over there. So they did what they could do and had to trust that Jesus could do what only he could do. So there they stood with what, what they had. That's all they had. Five loaves and two fish. What do you have? What do you have this morning? Some of you have more loaves than fish. Some of you have more fish than loaves. We all have different resources. We, we all have different abilities, capabilities. But we all have, that's the point, we all have something. You need to understand, we all have something. And the invitation to every one of us is, bring it to me. Whatever you have, bring it to me. In other words, watch this. Jesus is saying, you want me to do something? Fine. But I want you to do something as well. See, that's an important point. You need to see that. We want Jesus to do something? Jesus says, fine. But I want you to do something. You want me to do something big in your marriage? Fine. But you've got to bring me what you have. Consider t- t- you want to fight for it? Consider attending a marriage encounter or a marriage restored weekend right? You want me to show up big in your finances? Fine. Fine. Bring me what you have. If you feel like the 10% is, you know, because that's what God asks, the 10%. If you feel like the tithe is too much, that that's not doable for you, begin somewhere. Start at 3%. Start at 5%, maybe 7%. Look, I'm not endorsing a new doctrine here, all right? If you're not tithing, to, if you're not giving 10%, that's between you and God. You're, you're disobeying God. So if you're asking me, am I disobeying God if I'm not tithing 10%, the answer is yes. But that's a conversation you need to have with Jesus, all right? So I'm not endorsing some new, this isn't family church, home of the 5% tithe. No, 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 that, that, that's not. I'm saying, look, my goal, as your pastor, my goal is to try to get you to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. Bring Jesus what you have. And if you'll take that step of faith and trust Jesus with your finances, when your faith intersects with God's faithfulness, that's when your faith blows up. Jesus says, bring it here, bring it here. However little much, however little it is, says, you want me to do something big for the next generation? You want me to do something big in the community? You want me to do something big in your marriage, right? Bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. You've been praying, now I want you to participate. So how do we participate, Jesus? How do we participate? He told, bring me what you have. That's, bring, bring, take Jesus what you have. That's how we participate. And listen closely this morning, and you'll hear Jesus ask you this question. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Jesus is asking what breaks our heart. Bring me, bring me what you got. Is it your marriage? Jesus says, bring me what you got. Is it the faith of the next generation? Bring me what you got. Is it a prodigal child that you've been praying and praying and praying for and now your, your faith feels torn and afraid? Jesus says, bring me, what you, bring me what you have left. It may not be much, just, just bring it to me. Not to be insensitive today, but maybe, maybe infertility is what breaks your heart. And today only brings that disappointment front and center for you. Listen to Jesus this morning as he tells you, I understand, bring me what you've got. Bring me what you got. So there the crowd stands, staring at each other in a nervous, awkward milling around as the sun is slowly setting over the western horizon on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. Andrew hands Jesus the boy's lunchbox, thinking this ought to be interesting. But then again, I mean, what day with Jesus wasn't interesting, right? Let's read on. Verse 19 of Matthew 14. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing. 
Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And do you know what the disciples did? I'll tell you what they did. They did what they could do. It says, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. That's what they could do. They did what they could do. They gave the food to the crowd and trusted that Jesus knew what he was doing. That's it. They knew what they knew how to do, and they trusted that somehow Jesus was going to come through. Did he? Let's read on. Verse 20, Matthew 14. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Verse 21, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So here the disciples' active faith intersected with God's faithfulness. Something remarkable happened. Do you know what Jesus does after this? Imagine this moment. The apostles are collecting the leftover fish and bread, which was more than they started out with. I mean, you know, they're laughing. They're having a good time. They can't believe what they just experienced. And, and, I, and I can see Jesus kind of standing there smiling while everyone's eating. And while they're basking in this miraculous celebration, Matthew says in verse 22, immediately, again, notice the sense of urgency as Jesus is working with this short time frame. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Immediately. Before it goes to their heads, before they think, wow, look at us. Jesus says, let's go, let's go. They're like, yeah, Jesus, but man, this is pretty cool. Jesus said, no, let's go. Let's go down the lake. He puts them in a boat, pushes it off, and says, row, row, row your boat, and I will meet you on the other side. And once again, they cannot make it to the other side. And the text tells us that he asked them to do this, hoping that they would connect the dots between the lesson of the loaves and fishes and the journey across the lake because he had this compressed time frame to teach these men to trust him. Do what you can do, and trust me to do what you can't. This is the way the kingdom of God, and this is the way that the world was changed. In fact, in that particular story, the only person that connected the dots was Peter. But that's, that's for another sermon. Fast forward a few months, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus is standing on another hillside. And now it's just the, the apostles and a few extra folks and about 20 or 30 women who had supported and followed him from Galilee. And Jesus hands the keys to this kingdom, this entire enterprise, to this same group of people. He says, okay, I've done all I can do. I've taught you all I can. Remember the loaves? Remember the lake? Remember the lessons? Now I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. And they're thinking, what? We haven't been more than 50 miles from home. And you want us to go and make disciples of all nations? That's impossible. Jesus says, just bring me what you got. I'll make it happen. And you know what? 2,000 years later, look at us. Here we are. Here we are. This is the place that every Jesus follower finds themselves in at some point. And when you hesitate, when you ignore that nudge, when you say no to that nudge, when you decide, I'm just going to keep it here and not move out there, your faith atrophies and it, and it becomes weak and it's frail and and it's not going to be there for you when you need it. And it's not going to be there for someone else when they need it. But that nudge, that nudge to serve, that nudge to step in, that nudge to step out, that nudge to invite, that nudge to, to lead or whatever it might be, that is your opportunity to experience God in a way that you're, you're just not going to experience 
that, you know, oh, yeah, I'm just going to stay in my safe zone here. No, 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 no. Jesus says, I've got bigger, I got bigger fish to fry. I've got greater things for you guys to do. Personal ministry helps grow our faith because it positions us to experience God's power in our weakness, which is what God does. Personal ministry positions us to experience God's faithfulness in response to our little itty-bitty, I'll give you you what I got, faith. Somewhere in the world, there's someone whose life, whose child, whose marriage, whose grandchild, whose faith will be changed once you step up and make available to God what you've got, what's in your lunchbox. Again, there's a story yet to be told, and your heavenly Father is saying, "Just, just bring me what you've got. You do what only you can do, and I'll do what only I can do. And you'll be amazed at what we can do together. About 10 years ago, a little bit longer, Sue and I began to set aside a few minutes each morning and, and begin to pray, pray, pray over this church. And when I say pray, I mean everything was on the table. Everything was on the table, including our role as, as pastors and, and serving here in this community. At that time, we'd been here for about 22 years, and during those two-plus decades, our Sunday morning attendance bounced around between 50 and 80. And honestly, it wasn't the numbers that concerned or discouraged us. It was just this this underlying nagging sentiment that, you know, surely someone can do better than this. Surely someone can do better than this, right? I I knew that there were people, lots of unsaved, unchurched, de-churched people in this town that weren't going to church, people that needed to hear the gospel. What I didn't realize was how inward focused that we had become as a church. It's not that we didn't invite people. I always encouraged us to invite people as a church. The problem was while we were good at inviting, we weren't good at welcoming because anytime an unchurched or de-churched person did come, they would come into an environment where people, where church people would be comfortable, not unchurched people. I never understood how how much of a game changer that that could be. It's not that we didn't want church people. It's just that unchurched people, the lost, that should have been our priority because that was Jesus' priority. And at that point, they weren't. Just being honest, they weren't. So we began to pivot and approach ministry from an outward focus. Tried to create an environment where, where unchurched people would not just come, but, but feel welcome. It wasn't easy. There was some turbulence because there's different ways to do church. There, there, there are different ways to do church, and, and there were some who weren't comfortable with the, the way that we began doing church on Sunday mornings. And for about a year, there were times that I, I doubted. I began to doubt, thinking to myself, are we really doing the right thing? Because I thought, I thought, man, if we're doing the right thing, surely everyone would be on board with this. That was my thinking. If we're doing the right thing, surely everyone would be on board with this. And that wasn't the case. And I think at my lowest point during that time of transition, I told God, I said, God, you need to show me. You need to show me what's right. Because I need to know. I was at that point, the disciples were at that day on a hillside standing around with thousands of hungry people and a couple of fish and five loaves. I felt like I was in over my head. 
didn't know what to do, which direction to turn. My loyalty to the past was making it hard to move forward into the future. I felt like I was being pulled in two directions, and I, I knew I couldn't continue doing that, that I, that I had to make a choice. And in that moment, I felt like God was telling me, okay, bring me what you got. Bring me what you got. And what I had at that time, what I had in my lunchbox was my loyalty to the past almost 30 years of ministry here. So I brought it to Jesus. And once I made the decision to not just believe that this is the direction that we were supposed to go, but actually begin to follow Jesus going that direction. Once I, once I did what I could do and trusted Jesus to do what only he could do, it was a game changer. It was a game changer. Was it hard? Absolutely. Absolutely. Was it worth it? You tell me. In 2021, we saw 67 decisions for salvation. Just last month, we water baptized 11 people. Just last month. Three years ago, Easter, our attendance was probably 70 to 80. Two years ago was COVID. Easter last year, we had 287 over three services. This past Easter, we had 465 over five services. No, no, to God be the glory. Our Sunday morning attendance has quadrupled in the past two years. We've added two new services. We, we created a, we launched an outreach team to be the hands of, and feet of Jesus in our community. We launched Celebrate Recovery uh, to help those with life-controlling issues. We leveraged technology and our service live streams were viewed by 47, or 47,000 times last year. We recently hired an architect to help us repurpose our existing building as well as utilizing our empty lot on the property to the south to kind of hopefully help double our square footage to make room for the harvest of souls that God is bringing into heaven as we continue to do what we can do and trust that God will do what only he can do. That's the walk of faith. That's the walk of faith. And as long as, as, long as it's just something that you believe, I'm sorry, you're just going to have a little itty-bitty, frail, fragile faith. And it's not going to be there when you need it. So if you want enduring, go the distance faith. Don't just believe things. You got to say, the, you got to say yes to that nudge. You got to step out even before you feel ready because you'll never, in your own strength, you'll never feel ready. You'll, you'll never feel, feel adequate. You say, well, I don't feel qualified. No, no. You just, you just do, heed the call and he'll qualify you. And the folks that said, yes, I'll give you what I got, those are the people that changed the world, right? They're the ones that changed the world. They're the ones we read about. And the people that said no, we don't know. We don't know their names. They just went off into obscurity. In fact, you might know someone who said yes to that nudge by God, and because they said yes, it changed your life. They were scared to say anything to you or invite you to church, but they stepped out in faith and not only did it change their life, it changed someone else's life as well. And some of you have said yes, and now you're doing things you thought you'd never do before. And here's the thing. Somewhere in the world, somewhere in the world, there's someone whose life, whose child, whose marriage, whose grandchild, whose faith will be changed once you step up and make available to God 
what's in your lunchbox. Again, there's a story that's yet to be told, and your Heavenly Father is saying, just bring me what you got. However much, however little, just bring me what you got. You do what you can do, and I'll do what only I can do. And you'll be amazed at what we can do together. You give them something to eat. And we'll pick up there next week with part four of Faithful. So here's your homework. Got some questions. Can you think of a volunteer at Family Church who inspires you? If so, let them know. Let them know. That'll be an encouragement to them as well. That'll help build their faith as well. Have you ever felt an internal nudge to do something for someone else that you didn't feel equipped or qualified to do? Welcome to the party. (laughs) That's a big party. How did you respond? Third question, if you haven't taken our next class or you're not currently serving in some capacity, would you consider doing so when we offer that class again at the end of this month? Do what you can do and trust God to do what only he can do. Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Father, I do pray for everyone here this morning who has allowed fear and feeling of inadequacy to keep them from taking their next step of faith in whatever area of practical ministry that you might have for them. I pray that people would be willing to respond to those inner nudges of your Holy Spirit to step out and give their their faith an opportunity to intersect with your faithfulness. And when that happens, watch their faith begin to grow and get stronger. You say, but pastor, I'm not sure what area God wants me to step out in. Ask him right now. Ask him right now. Just say, Lord, what area of practical ministry do you have for me? In fact, begin each day praying, this this week, begin each day praying this simple prayer. And I believe before next Sunday that God will answer you. Just say, God, what area of service do you have for me? But don't be surprised when he shows you. Don't be surprised if if it intimidates you. That's why it's called faith. And when he shows you, instead of shrinking back, instead of being overwhelmed, here's what you say. You say this. You say, Lord, I'll do what I can do and trust that you'll do what only you can do. And if there are any here this morning who have yet to take that first step of faith, maybe you've never surrendered your life to the Lord or maybe, maybe you did at some point, but you walked away. And your nudge this morning isn't towards practical ministry. Your nudge is towards your heavenly father who loves you dearly and has been patiently waiting for you to come home. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. If that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where you could be reconciled to God, the same God who allows you to call him Heavenly Father. If you would just pray this simple prayer after me to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for my sins. I believe you are the only begotten Son of God who died for me, rose from the dead for me, and sent his Holy Spirit to help me. And right now I give my life to you, Lord, and I receive your life in return. Thank you for saving me and giving me eternal life and filling me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.